All right, so chapter 30.2. All right, so the UCC gives more protection to the person to whom the commercial paper is transferred. Some of these rights include more power for the transferee to overcome the offenses against payments that they may try to use. If the transfer of commercial paper doesn't qualify as a negotiation, then legally it is considered assigned. In this case, contract law applies and you aren't afforded the extra protection through the UCC. The proper way to transfer is dependent on if the commercial paper is order or bearer paper. If somebody goes to a local store every payday to cash their paycheck, they may be required to sign the back of the check in order to get their money. Your signature can be forged and used illegally to open accounts in your name, so you may be leery of having to sign your check every week. However, the local store doesn't have to However, the local store doesn't, if they don't have you sign the back of the check, when they take the check to get reimbursed, they might not be able to receive the payment. So nowadays, you're more likely to have someone go online and try to be you than forge your signature. However, you should be careful of both by monitoring your checking accounts and your credit report often to catch anything early. That signature that you're required to have on the back of your checks is called an endorsement. The book calls it an endorsement with the I-N, and I always use endorsement. And in the accounting book, it's called an endorsement. And when I'm typing it in Google Docs, it says I have a typo every time that I have wrote endorsement. So just know for the purpose of this class, and I think in everywhere in your life, endorsement and endorsement are interchangeable. Okay, the person to whom the paper is endorsed is the endorsee. The person who has physical possession of the commercial paper that is made payable to their order or the person in possession of bearer paper is known as a holder. If it is bearer paper, it may be negotiated by delivery alone. Technically, the bearer may simply hand the paper to the transferee. Many transferees, though, will require the bearer to endorse the paper. This allows the future holders to pursue the transfer for payment of the paper's value if there are problems collecting it from the maker or drawee. This means if you have bearer paper, the person cashing it for you wants your signature on it because if they go to the place where the bearer paper was originally drawn and it turns out that there wasn't sufficient funds to cover it, chances are you'll be charged a fee for trying to get the money from the institute on which it was drawn. If you had the bearer paper, if you had the bearer, sorry, endorse it, you can now go after them for cashing the bearer paper without sufficient funds. Otherwise, you're stuck with the fees from the original institute and the amount that the bearer paper was for. There are a few different types of endorsements. The first one that we're going to talk about is a blank endorsement. On the front of the check, it says, pay to the order of John Jones. To cash it, John Jones would have to sign his name on the back. The check just went from order paper to bearer paper now that it has been endorsed by John Jones. I could take it to the bank and cash it, even though I'm not John Jones. As soon as John Jones endorses it on the back, it's now bearer paper. Whoever holds that paper is able to cash it. Therefore, you don't want to use a blank endorsement unless you or John Doe, in this case, you endorse it and immediately receive cash for it, or if you're at the bank ready to deposit it. 
As long as it isn't endorsed, it is safe for John Jones to carry around and it can't be cashed until he endorses it. I personally would not accept this check from John Jones or anybody else with a blank endorsement on it unless I were a bank or I would tell the bearer of this bearer paper to get it cashed and then give me the cash. So technically, John Jones receives a check for $20. John Jones endorses it on the back, blank endorsement, just writes his name, John Jones, and he goes and he gives it to Susie. Susie owes me $20 and then Susie gives me that that check. That check is now bearer paper. Anyone who possesses it can cash it. I'm not going to accept that though from her. I will tell her, you go to the bank, you cash it, and then give me the money. Uh, just in case there isn't money in there. Because she knows who this John Jones person is. She's the one that got it from him. So if it doesn't have the money in it, then she can go after him. And then he can go after the person that gave it to him and so on. So you just keep on going to the person that gave it to you. Um, and then they can go to the person that gave it to them. All right. Another endorsement is a special endorsement. It's one where the paper becomes payable to the order of another person. To do this, on the back of the paper, you write the words, pay to the order of or pay to and then the person's name that you're transferring ownership to and then you sign below. So I have a check made out to me. I'm going to write on the back, pay to the order of Susie Jones and then sign my name, Janelle Afrasia. Okay, transferees who receive commercial paper with blank endorsements can protect themselves by writing that it is payable to them above the blank endorsement. So if I got a check that had a blank endorsement on it, I can protect myself and write, pay to the order of Janelle Afrasia. And then now it's, uh, now I have to sign for it. So now it's no longer a blank endorsement. It now has a special endorsement on it. So in this case, it now requires the signature of the new payee to cash. So if a forger does forge the new signature and cashes the paper, generally the loss would fall on the person accepting it from the forger. There is an exception to this rule. For example, if an employee fraudulently gets an employer to sign a check made payable to a real vendor, but for a fake shipment, the employee then forges the required signature of the vendor. The employee would be held responsible for the check because it was their, I'm sorry, the employer would be held responsible for the check because it was their negligence in allowing such a check to be issued. They should have been more diligent in making sure that the check really should have been written. However, the employer could then try to recoup its losses from the employee who tricked them into signing the check. Another exception is when an imposter tricks the maker or drawer into giving the imposter an instrument that is payable to the person who's being impersonated. The imposter then forges the signature of the person being impersonated and cashes the check. The maker or the drawer is responsible for paying because they should have been more careful in properly identifying the party to whom they gave the paper. Okay, another endorsement is called a qualified endorsement and it can limit the potential liability you do this by adding the words without recourse or not liable for payment over a blank or a special endorsement. If the maker or drawee of an instrument fails to pay, if the endorsers, sorry, if the maker or drawee of the instrument fails to pay it, 
the endorsers would be required to pay it. If the maker or the drawee does not add a qualified endorsement, the result is an unqualified endorsement and that endorsers may be liable to subsequent holders of the paper. So people who have that after them could come after the person with the unqualified endorsement on it. Even though secondary liability is avoided by qualifying endorsements, they still have to guarantee that the transfer... Okay, so even if you write on there the words um, without recourse or not liable for payment on it, you still... um, it, It takes away your secondary liability. However, you still have to guarantee that the transfer is entitled to enforce the paper um, and they're saying that all signatures are genuine, that the instrument has not been altered, that the transfer has no knowledge of a bankruptcy proceeding against the maker, that the drawer, the maker or the drawer of an unaccepted draft or the acceptor, and that there are no defenses of any type against the transfer. Okay, so you still have to guarantee that the check is good, you don't know of any bankruptcies against the person, because if they have bankruptcies against them, then um, they could take the money out, the the court could order the money being taken out before you're able to cash it. Um, So you don't want to take a check from somebody who's filed bankruptcy. I mean, if they are in an active bankruptcy, you can accept checks for people who have filed bankruptcy, that happens. Um, but you don't want to take a check from them while they're in an active bankruptcy before it has been uh, all sorted out. Okay, but to be totally without potential liability on a piece of commercial paper, a qualified endorser might add the words without warranties, and that eliminates all warranty liability. Another type of an endorsement is a restrictive endorsement. This endorsement restricts what can be done with the payment by the endorser. For example, they could write, pay to Chase LaRue to be held in trust for his oldest son, Tommy. Chase would be able to get the money, but then he legally would have to hold it for his son, Tommy. A much more common type of restrictive endorsement is one that says, for deposit only. And then the paper could only be deposited into the account and not redeemed for cash. Oftentimes, if you deposit a check through a bank app on your phone, You have to endorse it for mobile deposit, which is another common type of restrictive endorsement. Sometimes a person wants to borrow money or cash a check and they're not well known in the community or they don't have established credit. To make their commercial paper acceptable, the person might arrange for a co-signer with a good credit rating to join in the signing. This co-signer is called an accommodation party. The co-signer would also become just as liable as the person that they're co-signing for. So if they borrowed money with the help of a co-signer, the co-signer could be made to pay if the person they co-sign for couldn't pay. In fact, the bank or other financial institute could go directly after the co-signer for the payment. They'll go after whomever whomever they feel they would have the best chance of getting their money from. So since this person needed a co-signer, There's a reason for that. They didn't have the money or the credit to get the loan on their own. The banks aren't stupid. They're here to make money. So they'll give you the money as long as somebody else signs for you. And they know darn well that they're going to go after that person that co-signed with you. 
So I would think long and hard before I co-signed for anybody. And in fact, the only person that I would ever co-sign for is my son. And only then I would only do it if I were prepared to take on the debt or just say, "Eh, okay, it's I'll co-sign so that he can build his credit. But I know that I'll probably have to pay or I'll be prepared to pay. Um, So it is a way that he could build, build credit. But I know that if he doesn't pay, then I would have to pay. So uh, be careful. If you have a co-signer, you could ruin the relationship with that person if you don't pay. Uh, The bank has determined that there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to pay. So that's why they required the co-signer. And more often than not, it turns out that the person wasn't able to pay. So, all right. So there's uh, chapter 30 for you. Now we'll finish up all the worksheets.